Amen. Welcome to church this morning. Thank you for being in your place. Uh, and I know that there's a lot of uh, craziness going around. Uh, and I tell you that we do not take it lightly what is going around. Uh, but we also know, just like that song that was played for Offertory, his eye is on the sparrow. And you know if his, he's watching out for the sparrow, that he's watching out for you and me as well. Uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but he has given us the spirit of common sense. Uh, and so we are going to attempt to use common sense as a church uh, and also not live in fear, uh, but I'll let God protect us and trust him to protect us every single day. Uh, so thank you for being here. Please, if you feel sick, do not come to church. Do not share whatever you have. You say, I don't think I had the coronavirus. That's fine. We don't want the flu either. Okay, we don't want that. Uh, just because you don't have the coronavirus doesn't mean we all want to get sick. So if you feel sick, if you're nervous, please stay at home. We have the live stream you can listen to, and you're more than welcome to listen to that. Uh, let us know if you aren't feeling well. If you know someone that's not feeling well, that's not here, reach out to them this week. Shoot them a text message. Send them an email. Let them know that you're thinking about them and praying for them as well. We're going to start out in the book of 1 Timothy this morning. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. Whenever anything like this happens in our country, it's amazing the, the amount of chaos that begins to ensue. And, and a lot of people will turn back to God during a time when they are afraid. Uh, if you remember, if you were alive and remember at 9-11, 2001, the churches were full for weeks after that. I lived in Washington, D.C. area, uh, just a few miles from the Pentagon. Actually, when the plane hit the Pentagon on 9-11, our house shook. We had uh, dishes that fell off a shelf at neighbors' houses and you know, there was just a, we were that close to it. And I remember being scared to death afterwards. And I remember the churches, at least up in the D.C. area, and I'm sure that was true here, they were full. There were people that were flocking back to God. And, uh, you know, that shouldn't be the only time that we seek God's help. It shouldn't be the only time that we rely on him. But as Christians, when something like this happens, something like the coronavirus, and you can't get away from it, it's in the news, it's everywhere you go. How many of you have tried to go buy toilet paper this week? Be honest. I honestly just went because I actually needed toilet paper, not because I'm stocking up and building a fort out of it, okay? It was out of necessity, uh, but I felt like I had to explain myself to the cashier and go, I'm not just stocking up on toilet paper because I think the end of the world is coming. Uh, it's just a normal shopping trip. But, you know, we, everybody tends to start getting scared and uh, losing their mind. But as Christians, we should realize that God is in control of everything. He's in control of every aspect uh, of our life, and uh, this virus that's going around the world did not take God by surprise, uh, and it did not take him. He's not going up in heaven going, oh, no, I've got to come up with an emergency plan, and we've got to go to Code Red because all of a sudden this just snuck up on me, and I don't know what's happening. We've got to realize in, in our minds that's how it feels when troubles and hard times and things like this come up, but God is in control of everything, and when we take that, we can lay our head on the pillow at night. I can lay down and know that God you know, if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. I'm going one way or another. Uh, but God is there with me always. And this morning, I just want to share with you three different words, something that helped me uh, back in 2001. Uh, and I hope that it'll be a blessing to you today that no matter what happens in life, whether it's this or down the road, uh, another epidemic happens or uh, a trial or a crisis shows up in your life because there will be crises. There will be trials that show up in your life that take you by surprise, that will test the very foundation of your faith. And these three things uh, will help you immensely as we uh, study it this morning. 
the verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy, with the laying on of hands of the, of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto thy doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Three things that should be in our lives every single day, but especially in a time of crisis, uh, are these three words, faithfulness, obedience, and godliness. We should always be faithful. We should always be obedient. We should always be godly. We're going to look at these three things throughout the scriptures today. Be ready to turn in your Bibles because we're going to read lots of different scripture passages. We're going to look at being faithful, obedient, and godly uh, in every aspect of our lives. The Bible says here in verse 13, till I come, till Jesus Christ comes back and takes us to heaven, we're supposed to be faithful. We're supposed to be obedient. We're supposed to live godly lives. Why? So that a world that is in chaos... Uh, and whether it's this epidemic or it's another thing, the world is in chaos. You watch the news, uh, you see that our city, our world is in just a state of chaos. That they can look at Christians and go, there's something different about them. While the world's in chaos, they have a peace that I just can't understand. What does the Bible call it? A, a peace that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that's what, as a Christian, we should have in our life, a peace that passes all understanding. Let's open up with a word of prayer, uh, and we'll get right into the message this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for those that are here. I pray that you would be with our pastor, that you just continue to heal him and strengthen him, uh, and all those that are not feeling well. I know Miss Tamara has been sick and several others. I pray that you would just uh, bring them back to full health quickly, that you protect those that are here uh, and that are at home today, that you just keep them safe and encourage and strengthen every single one of them. I pray that as we open your word this morning, uh, in a time where our world is in chaos, that you would help us to keep these three aspects of our life in check so that we can be a witness to a dark and troubled world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's important as Christians that we set a good example for the lost. What do we tell kids? When uh, teenagers would come into my youth group when I was a youth pastor, I would tell them there are little kids that are looking up to you as teenagers. Because you remember being in fourth grade, fifth grade, sixth grade, you just looked at those teenagers and they were the coolest things in the world. You could not wait to be a teenager. If you went to church, you couldn't wait to be in the youth group to be able to go on teen activities. And, and you looked up to and idolized those teenagers. And you know what I found out when I became a teenager, that they were just normal human beings, just like me. Uh, but we've got to be careful because there are unsaved neighbors, unsaved family members, unsaved co-workers that are watching how you react to everyday trials in life. And they might not ever say a word to you, but they're watching. They're watching how you react. And, you know, on Facebook, I find that especially true. Uh, there are some people out there that are Facebook stalkers. You know the Facebook stalkers. They are on Facebook. My grandma is a Facebook stalker. Uh, I love my grandma, and she is on Facebook. And she's on Facebook every single day. And she's watching everything that you do, but she never comments on anything. And so you forget that she's there. Do you have some friends like that? I forget that they're there. I forget I'm friends with them. Uh, but I'll call my grandma to talk to her about something. She'll go, oh, I know. I saw that on Facebook. I go, of course you did. I forgot you're on Facebook. Um, it was amazing through uh, the situation we had with Reagan last year when we lost Reagan. Uh, the amount of, I would get messages from people that I forgot I was Facebook friends with, people that I forgot that I knew, 
and said, we've been watching you and thank you for your faithfulness. And you know, you don't know who's watching you when you go through trials. Uh, but when people that are weak or the weaker Christian, they need to be encouraged, they need to be strengthened, they're going to watch you. So we need to exhibit faith in our lives. Number one, we need to exhibit faith in our lives. We need to exhibit faith in three different areas we're going to look at this morning. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Philippians 4, verse 19. And while you're turning to Philippians 4, 19, I'm going to read Hebrews 13, verse 5. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. What a promise from God. We can have strength in the promise. We can have faith that God has never once gone back on a promise that he made us. Never once has he failed. Uh, never once has he left somebody high and dry, but he has always been faithful to us. So we can have faith in his promise. Faith that God will never leave us. Does that what that verse says? Hebrews 13, 5. You guys have probably heard it before. I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. That means in the difficult times, that means when the world is going awry, that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Never. It's a promise from God. And then Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, where uh, you guys are, it says, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. God will provide for us. God will be there for us for all of our needs. Not necessarily for all our wants, but doesn't God desire to give us God wants to give us the desires of our heart, uh, but our heart should be desirous of what he desires for us. We should desire the things that God desires. We should desire to see people saved. If the, your desire of your heart is to see people saved, can I tell you that God will give you that desire of your heart? And if you pray and you're seeking him every single day, we can have faith in his promises that God will supply all our needs. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. Uh, and that's especially comforting in a time like today. When everybody's going crazy, uh, I went to Walmart. I hate going to Walmart, number one, but I went to Walmart. You guys know I hate going to Walmart. I do the, we do the grocery pickup. It's amazing. You never have to set foot in a Walmart. They put your groceries in your car. You get to avoid all the craziness. Uh, I thought self-checkouts were great, but grocery pickup is even better. Uh, so I, I don't like, but I went into Walmart and uh, Weststone Drive last night, and the freezer section was completely empty. Toilet paper aisle, completely empty. Everything was just gone. There were some good healthy snacks, so if you want healthy stuff, it was all there. The chip aisle was wiped out, uh, but you know the fruits and nut aisle, it was pretty well stocked. So frozen pizzas, you're out of luck. If you want some salad, there was lots of salad, so go for it. But you know, I walked around Walmart, and I saw some scared looks on some people's faces, some people that were worried. But you know, I know that God's got everything in his hand, and he knows what's happening, and that he will never leave me, he'll never forsake me. I always told my dad growing up, and you've heard me tell this story before, that I wanted a cell phone. I wanted a cell phone so bad. Uh, and I said, would ask him, and he would always say, no, if you know my dad, uh, he just, that's not his kind of thing. My dad still has a pager to this day, uh, and he has a cell phone. The other day he got mad because I didn't call his cell phone. He goes, why'd you call your mom when you wanted to talk to me? I said, dad, because your cell phone is never on. And he looked at his phone, and sure enough, his cell phone was off. He goes, okay, good point. Uh, I never called my dad's cell phone. He never has it on. So it was a moot point. There was no way he was going to ever get me a cell phone. But I walked up to him one day and I said, Dad, I need a cell phone. He goes, you need it? Well, that's great. Why didn't you say that in the first place? My dad's a very sarcastic person. We got him a shirt that says sarcasm, one of the many services I offer. Uh, just because that's who he is. And I love my dad to death. 
Uh, but I looked at him, and I knew he was being sarcastic in this instant. And uh, Brandon Ashaseth had the opportunity to meet my mom and dad. And you know that to be true. If you sat in his church services up in Virginia, he's just, he is. Super nice guy. Uh, he looked at me and he goes, why didn't you say that in the first place? And he had me turn to Philippians 4.19 and said, but my God shall supply all your needs. If you need it, you're asking the wrong person, go ask God. And so I went, that is no help, Dad, but, but thank you. Uh, and I never got a cell phone until I was 19 years old and in college. Uh, and I survived. But, you know, sometimes we get our wants and needs mixed up in life, and we go, God's not being faithful to me because I want this, and I want this, and I want this. I want a new car. I want a bigger house. I want uh, more money. And, and we get our wants out of line with what we actually need. Uh, and maybe that's just me. I do. I, all of a sudden, I need all this stuff. Uh, I need a, a bigger TV. I need more music. That's me, okay? Maybe you don't struggle with that. I need more music. If I go on musicnotes.com, I am in trouble uh, because I'll walk out with $50 worth of music that I don't necessarily need. But my God shall supply all your needs. We need to exhibit faithfulness, faith in our life. We can exhibit faith in his promises, but not only that. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. We need to have faith in his promises, but not only that, we need to have faith also in his person. Exodus chapter number 3 and verse number 14. The Bible says, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. Here's Moses. And if you know anything about the story of Moses, he felt inadequate to be doing what he was doing. When God spoke to him in the burning bush, he said, I cannot do that. I, 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 I have a speech problem. I stutter. I can't do it. And God said, it's not you. It's me that's going to be doing it. I am choosing to use you, Moses. And so Moses is here, and he's leading the children of Israel. And he said, and God's talking to him, and he says, I am that I am. God is a powerful God. God is a magnificent. You just stop and think about how good God is. And it hurts my mind to think about it. If I start to think about how amazing he is and the miracles that he performed in the Bible and the same God that was there for Moses that parted the Red Sea is the same God that I serve today, it gets me a little bit excited. I don't know about you, but I get a little bit excited and go, you know, if, that, if my God can part the Red Sea, can put a pillar of fire by, day, uh, or by night and a pillar of cloud by day, if he can heal the lame, if he can heal the dumb and the, the deaf, you know, he can heal me. He can work in my life. He can perform a miracle there. We need to have faith in his person. And then God keeps on going in the end part and says, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. When my little sister would come and tell my brother and I what to do, I'm the oldest in my family. I have a younger brother, and he's a typical middle child. Uh, and then I have my younger sister, who is a typical baby in the family. Uh, she got everything that she wanted. Uh, and my brother was just kind of stuck in the middle and got ignored a lot. And, you know, not really. He thinks he did. But in his mind, he got ignored and missed out on everything. Uh, but when my brother and I would be downstairs, we'd be wrestling or doing something. And my sister would come and tell us to stop. My sister would come into the basement steps and go, hey, stop wrestling. We could care less. We couldn't care less what my sister said. Uh, who are you? You are six years younger than me. Uh, I don't have to listen to you. You're not my mom. You're not my dad. Uh, so when she would come tell us what to do, we'd just ignore her. Then all of a sudden, about three minutes later, most of the time, 
My sister would come to the, although my sister was bossy, so not all the time, but a lot of times she would come back to the stairs and said, Dad said to stop wrestling. Well, that changed the whole entire game. Because if Dad said it and sent Caitlin to tell us, if we didn't stop, there would be consequences. Uh, it, meant, it changed the whole thing because of who the message came from. And so here's Moses, and God's talking to Moses and says, when you talk to the children of Israel, it's not you that's talking to them. You go, I am God, the Almighty God, Jehovah Jireh, has sent me to say this to you. And it changed the whole entire thing. You're the children of Israel, Moses, eh. But can I tell you that God's word is powerful today, and God has sent you a pastor, Pastor Wagner, to preach faithfully his word to you. And it's not Pastor Wagner's word. It is the word of God that he opens faithfully week by week and shares with you his heart, what God has laid on his heart. We need to have faith in the person of God, of who he is, that he, when he promises something, he will keep it, that he is the great I am. But not only that, we need to have faith in his passion. Faith in his promise, faith in his person. And number three, we need to have faith in his passion. You remember uh, several years ago, Hollywood came out with a movie, The Passion of Christ. But what really is the passion of Christ? What is Christ's heartbeat? What is the heartbeat of God? And I think you can find it in Matthew chapter 28. You could probably quote these verses as well. Matthew chapter 28, and you know what verses I'm going to. Verses 18 through 20. It shares the, his last words on earth. The last things he wanted you to remember as he ascended up into heaven were these. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The heartbeat of God, the passion that he has is for souls to come to know him as their Savior. When crisis hits, if we aren't faithful to him, we will end up losing our testimony as Christians, and we won't be an effective witness for Christ. If Christ's passion, <coughs> as he was leaving this earth, was for souls to be saved and to promise us, and he ends it the same way we ended another verse, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Christ will be with us. He wants us to share the gospel to the entire world. We just finished Missions Conference, one of my all-time favorite weeks of the year. Not just because of the services, but those messages were a blessing this week that Brother Baggett preached. And I hope if you miss them, you'll go online on our website and listen to them. But it was a blessing to talk to those missionaries that God has called to a different part of the world. Many places where I couldn't speak the language and I couldn't communicate with them, but God is sending them there. And God is going to use the money given by Bible Baptist Church, and he does for all these missionaries around, to send missionaries around the world to the end of the world. And that's Christ's passion, that we would be a church that cares about souls. That that, that would be our focus to, to, yes, edify the saints, and that's part of the church, and to worship God, but that it wouldn't end in these four walls of this building, but that it would go throughout the week, and that we would share God's love with everyone around us. So we need to have faith, exhibit faith in our lives, faith in his promises, faith in his person, and faith in his passion, winning souls to Christ. Luke 16, verse 10 says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and that is unjust is least also. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If we can't be faithful in the little things to Christ, how can we be expected to be faithful in the big things? My dad tried to instill that in me growing up. Listen, your chores that we don't ask you to do, like making your bed every single day, I still struggle. I hate making the bed. 
Kelly can attest to that. Uh, I don't. I don't do well with making the bed. But my dad would say, if I can't trust you to wake up and make your bed like I ask you, how can I trust you to watch your younger siblings? How can I trust you with something bigger? How can I trust you to go out with your friends if you're not going to be faithful and obedient in that which is least, like making your bed? I said, well, that's a good point. But I still don't want to make my bed. Uh, We need to exhibit faith in our lives. But number two, we need to exhibit obedience in our lives. Who do we need to obey? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5. Let's turn there first as we start this. I know you're doing a lot of turning, but I want you to read these verses for yourself as well. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. And all parents like this verse. If you're older, you like this verse. A lot of times teenagers hate this verse. This is their least favorite verse in the Bible. Right next to children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger... Submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace unto the humble. We need to obey those in authority over us. And everybody in this room, no matter your age, if you're 105 in here, uh, you have somebody who's in authority over you at some point in your life. Uh, if, even if it was just one person, you have the government, okay? We have to obey those in authority over us. If you go and you drive 120 miles per hour on 26 within city limits, a Kingsport police officer is going to turn his lights on and pull you over. Uh, Why? Because you were not obeying the authority over you. We all have authority in our lives, and we all have people that we're to obey, uh, and we don't always like it. But, you know, God instituted government, and we have government, and do I agree with everything the government does? No, I don't. I don't agree with a lot of what the government does at times, but... We are to obey those in authority over us unless it goes against the word of God. If ever government was to go against the word of God, the word of God is my final authority. But in the word of God over and over again, I can take you to passage after passage where it says we're to obey those in authority over us. So uh, April's coming up, and in April it's everybody's favorite season. It's tax season. Uh, And so you're supposed to pay taxes, okay? If you go and you don't pay taxes, you're not obeying those in authority over you. Uh, You're supposed to give unto Caesar that which was Caesar's, I think is what Jesus said uh, in the word of God. And and so we're supposed to obey those in authority that are over us. But our obedience doesn't just stop there. Turn to James chapter 4, just a few pages back towards the beginning of the Bible. James chapter number 4. Verse number 7, the Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God. We are supposed to obey and submit our will to God. We're supposed to submit to what... Now, are my plans always what God's plans are for my life? I can tell you with a 100% a resounding no, that what I plan is not always what God plans. What I plan isn't always what happens, but I know that His way is perfect. No matter what happens, that God's way is always, always, always perfect. And we need to submit and obey God in everything that we do. Uh, and in verse number 7, it's talking about submit, to you there, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Verse 8 says, draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. We're supposed to submit ourselves to a holy and righteous God, even when it's difficult, even when it hurts. Even when your heart is aching because of a trial that's going on in your life, that heartache is there, and God has not forgotten about us. We talked about in Sunday school this morning, forgiveness. 
And what is our initial reaction as human beings uh, when we are hurt? It's to get angry. It's to get angry, and sometimes that anger is towards God. And we would never say that out loud, maybe. Maybe you would say it out loud. I will tell you, when we came home that uh, Wednesday afternoon with the diagnosis that we were going to lose our baby girl, I was angry. I was angry at a lot of different things. I was angry that there were people out there that don't care about their kids, people out there that kill their kids, and I love mine, and I can't even hold my little girl. I was angry. And can I say that? I'm going to be honest with you this morning. Are you ready for me to be honest? That there was a moment where I became angry at God and said, God, why? Why would you allow this to happen to me? I am striving to serve you with every ounce of my being. Why? But I had to come to a point where I realized I need to submit my will to God's will and that God has a perfect plan and everything. And can I tell you that that's a comforting feeling that even my heart was still wrenched and hurt but I knew that God was in control and that he wasn't, hadn't left me, he hadn't forsaken me, and that he was there with me and Kelly every single step of the way. But we have to come to a point where we submit our will to God's will, and it's not easy. I can tell you from experience it's not always easy. There's some parts where it is easy. Okay, I need to read the Word of God. I'm going to sit down and read the Word of God. Uh, but there are points in our life where we're going to have to choose to obey even in the difficult times. And as Christians, we need to be prepared for that now because if we don't prepare now, when those difficult times come, it'll be easy to turn your back on God. I have several friends uh, from Bible college that I went to college with. Uh, I have one in particular that I'm thinking of currently, and he uh, went through a difficult time, and it was not It was a very, very difficult thing for him, but his, he hadn't chosen ahead of time to have a close relationship with God, even though he went to Bible college. It didn't make him close to God, and he is a devout atheist now. He completely turned his back on God because of a difficult time that came into his life. And I looked at that at first and said, I don't understand how he could do that. But if our faith and our obedience isn't close to God before we go into hard times, those hard times are going to end up pushing us away because we're not trusting in him and we're not obeying him for our strength every single day. Letter C, not only do we need to submit ourselves to those in authority over us, over to our God, but we also need to submit ourselves to the word of God. What is Joshua 1.8? It says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Not only do we need to have faith in our lives, exhibit that faith, we need to exhibit obedience, but number three, and lastly, we need to exhibit godliness in our lives. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse number 6. The Bible says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We're supposed to live godly lives. Lives that you wouldn't be ashamed if Christ walked into your house today. This afternoon when you're sitting there, or when you're on your phone, or when you're watching TV, or when you're having a conversation, you wouldn't be embarrassed if Christ walked into your life because our conversation, our whole entire life, should be godly. We should be God, exhibit godliness in how we act. Just three more passages of Scripture that I want you to turn with me to. Hebrews 11, verse number 5. Again, I want you to see these passages. Hebrews 11, verse 5. Two more after this, and then we'll wrap it up. We need to exhibit godliness 
in how we act. Verse 5 says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Is that our testimony today? Nobody can answer that but you. Is our testimony one that God would look at us and say, I'm pleased with their life. I'm pleased with how they act. I'm pleased with what they're doing. I'm pleased with what they're thinking. Enoch was one of those. He was translated. He got to go to heaven and didn't see death. He was one that pleased God. And then verse number six is one that we all know about. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. If you're going to have faith in God, number one, you have to believe that he exists. Okay, you're all in church this morning. That is a great place to be. If you came to church this morning, I'm going to assume something. And I could be wrong in assuming this, but I'm assuming that most everybody in here believes that Jesus Christ, that God exists. You're in church. I, I'm just going to assume that. So we've got number one. But number two, not only do we need to believe that God is, but that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek after him. How many times do I diligently seek after God? Or how many times do I get so busy to where I go, you know what, I can wait for my Bible reading until tomorrow. I don't need to read my Bible today. I've got too many things going on. Uh, You know, life is so busy this week. Do I really need to go to church for three services? I think I'm just going to skip. I'm just not going to go because uh, I'm too busy for God. Uh, We've gone to a place in our life where we don't diligently seek after God. And if we want to have faith, we need to not only believe in God, but we need to diligently Seek Him every single day. Diligently be in the Word of God. Diligently be in prayer. We need to exhibit godliness in how we act and in what we do. But not only that, turn over just a couple pages to Hebrews 13, verse 5. We need to exhibit godliness in what we say. Let your conversation be without covetousness, Hebrews 13, 5, and be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. We need to be careful of our conversation. You can go throughout the entire word of God and read several different verses. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And we talked about this in Sunday school as well. How many times do we say something and we say the right thing, but we say it in the wrong way? How many times does that happen? You've been there you said the right thing. You've even done the right thing, maybe, but you said it in the wrong way. And I'm going to tell a story on myself uh, that happened last night. And I'm studying this sermon, right, and studying for Sunday school. Sunday school is about forgiveness and having the right attitude. Uh, this is about being faithful, obedient, and godly, having godly communication. Uh, and here I am, and my wife, I lay in bed. And I get ready to lay my head on the pillow, and she goes, Hey, Daniel. And I know that something's about to be asked of me to get out of my warm, comfy bed at 11.30 at night and to go do something. She goes, Daniel, could you plug in my phone for me? And do you know, I plugged in her, I am such a good husband, I plugged in her phone, I got out of bed, I walked over there, and I plugged it. But I might have gone like this. <sighs> yes. Stood up, walked briskly across the room, grabbed the phone, plugged it in, we don't have plugs by our bed in our room, so it was on the floor. Laid it hardly on the floor, and then walked briskly back over to my side of the bed, climbed to bed, and went, and then laid down. Now, did I do the right thing? Yes, I went and I plugged my wife's phone into the wall. 
Uh, did I say the right thing? Yes, I said yes, I will go do it. But did I say it in the right way? No, I did not. Uh, and so many times, instead of edifying the believers, instead of using good communication, we let corrupt communication proceed out of our mouth. And it's not good for edifying. It does not edify. I can tell you my wife was not edified last night. She was rolling her eyes going, I am sorry to inconvenience you so much to make you get up and plug my phone into the wall. And she was not edified. Uh, but so many times we as Christians, we say the right things, but we say it in the wrong way. We need to exhibit godliness in what we say. How we communicate to people uh, is a big thing. When I'm at Walmart, I struggle with that too. I know I keep going back to Walmart, but I struggle at Walmart. I do. I was in there. Landon wanted to go in with me. And so I don't know why. He never wants to go into Walmart, but he wanted to go in. And here we are. I've got my son in the cart in front of me and watching everything I do and say, you know, and a, a lady pops right out in front of me. And I know she's probably heading towards the toilet paper aisle. She doesn't care who she's going to cut off on the way there. Uh, but she cuts in front of me, and I almost hit her cart. And she looks at me and gives me the look like, how could you? Well, she's coming out of a side aisle, barging, not stopping. And she looks at me, and she goes, oh. And I wanted to say, slow down. It will be okay. And I'm looking at my son and wanting to get angry and let corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth. But I know it's not good. Uh, it's a struggle that's going to be there every single day, okay? But we need to be... A live godly and how we act, what we do, and, and what we say. Because people are watching us as Christians. And I will think of a couple examples in the Bible as we close out today uh, of people that had these in their life. And the first person that came into my mind was Noah. Noah. Think about what he went through. Here God comes. He's being faithful. He's got his sons, Sham, Ham, and Japheth, their wives, uh, and they're there, and they're just living their lives. And the world has gotten wicked. And God comes to Noah and says, I want you to build a big boat. And Noah kind of looks, uh, this would be me, I don't know about you. You might be more spiritual than I am and goes, a big boat. Like how big? And God gives him the dimensions. And in my mind, I'd be going, God, you know that there's like no water close by that that boat will float on. We've got a little pond out back that we go fishing in and the kids swim in, but that's about it. There's no, there's no water close by. Okay, I'm ad-living into the Bible a little bit. That's not in the Bible, okay? But God, if I was Noah, that would be me. I'd be saying, God, are you, have you lost it? But Noah said he was obedient. The Bible says he was obedient. And Noah obeyed all that God had commanded him. God said it's going to rain. It hadn't rained on the earth. Noah goes, rain, that sounds cool. What is that, God? Uh, he goes, you know, it's when water falls from the sky and there's going to be so much of it that the whole entire world's going to flood and you're going to need to be on that boat to be saved. If I was Noah, I'd go, <laughs> okay, so you want me to build a big boat, God? That takes a lot of faith. That took obedience. Uh, and the reason that Noah was able to build that boat was why? Because he was found faithful. He was living a godly life. So he has all three of these aspects, but it would have been very easy for Noah to go, God, this is ridiculous. Everybody's going to laugh at me. I'm going to become the laughingstock of the community if I build a big boat when there's no water close by and tell people it's going to rain when they've never seen rain. But Noah remained faithful. Noah remained to obey God's word, and he was saved. He and his family were saved because of it. I think of another person who was faithful, obedient, and godly in his life, and that is Joseph. And Pastor preached an excellent message series last year through the life of Joseph. Imagine all that happened to Joseph. His own brother sold him into slavery. And even still, he remained faithful, obedient, and godly. So much so uh, that in Potiphar's house, he was put into second in command. And then Potiphar's wife lies about him, and he's thrown into prison again. And even in prison, he remains faithful, obedient, and godly. 
And what happens? He gets forgot about for several years. He gets left in jail. Uh, this, the butler and the baker are supposed to remember him when they get out. Uh, and he's stuck there. They forget about him. And then all of a sudden, they remember that Joseph, oh, there was this guy in jail who interpreted my dreams. And he was right, Pharaoh. And you need to get Joseph out of jail and bring him. I know it's been a couple years. He's probably going to be ticked at me. He probably doesn't even... Uh, have communication with God anymore because he's just bitter that he's gotten forgotten in jail, but he didn't. He remained faithful. He remained obedient and godly, so much so that not only did he save his family, but during a time of famine, the entire country looked to him for how they should go forward. Why? Can I tell you, if Joseph, if Noah, uh, if Moses, and you can go through the Bible, if David, if they had stopped remaining faithful, obedient, or godly in their life, that God would have had to stop using them. It doesn't mean they were perfect people. Look at David. He defeated Goliath on a spiritual high, and then he sinned with Bathsheba, spiritual low. But you know that God continued to use him, and even though he wasn't perfect, he still was faithful. He repented of his sins in Psalm 51, uh, a psalm of lament. And God continued to use David because even though he wasn't a perfect person, he exhibited these three principles in his life. If we want to be a light to Kingsport, Tennessee, wherever you live, to your neighborhood, to your street, to our city, to our country, to our world, if we want to be a light, we need to be different. And we need to exhibit faithfulness to God. We need to exhibit obedience to all that he says, and we need to live godly lives. So that when the world is going, it seems like it's going <laughs> nowhere, that they can look to us and go, you know what, they've got something different. I want what they have. I don't understand it, and I don't know why they are like they are, but they've got a peace. It's chaos, and they aren't worried. And God can use every single one of us.